Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Generation Jaguar podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo. I'm joined by my regular co-host Scott Klein, our new co-host Grant Gunderson, and our special guest today is Hunter Evans, offensive coordinator at Mandarin High School and big-time Jacksonville Jaguar fan. Yeah, full house tonight. That's right. How's everybody doing today? Uh, you I know. know. I mean... We're just peachy. Yeah. <laughs> We're not following the status quo, that's for sure. All right, well, to start our show off, since there's going so much turmoil going on around our country and around our favorite football team, the Jaguars, we brought you in on Come Together because we think everybody needs to come together, and we'll also give you some wise words from the great Jackie Moon, a.k.a. Will Ferrell. E-L-E, everybody love everybody. That's all we've got to say about the election and what's going on with the Jaguars, uh, we'll quickly move on to a rundown of what we've got coming up on the show today. We've got a Jaguars versus Chiefs recap. Uh, unfortunately, that's going to be a little bit of a somber discussion, but there's definitely with. plenty of positives to take away from that game. I know a lot of Jaguar fans don't want to hear about the positives anymore. They just want to hear about wins, but it is what it is. We'll get into the injury report. And we'll provide, since the Jaguars are eight games into their season, which is exactly halfway, we'll provide our mid-season recap. We'll take you around the AFC South, and then we will go ahead and preview the Jaguars and the Texans. So, I'm Jordan DeLugo. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Jordan DeLugo. You can find Scott Klein, at ScottKlein1 on Twitter. Grant Gunderson, he's at BoldCityG underscore on Twitter. And Hunter Evans, who's our guest today, you can find at Hunter underscore Evans underscore seven on Twitter. Man with many underscores. <laughs> Good That's stuff. Mouthful. It is. It is. <laughs> Always. And finally, you can find... Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's how we're going to start. This is, a, this is a good first impression here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Hunter. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, again, you can find Generation Jaguar on Facebook and Instagram, at Generation Jaguar, on Twitter, at Generation Jag. And don't forget to visit our website for the latest news and updates on all things Jaguars and to check out our membership program, genjag.com. So, 
Let's quickly get into our Jaguars versus Chiefs recap. I'll let uh, our, I'll let our brand new guest start us oh, off. Boy. So talk to us, Hunter. What did you see? What did I see? I saw a team that didn't know how to win. Really, yeah. if you want yeah. to be honest. Yeah, um, I can't disagree with that. It's <clears throat> it's a situation where we got the talent everywhere. Um, I think the coaches finally came together and set up almost a near perfect game plan. Um, I think Nathaniel Hackett in his first game under five days maybe of game planning did about the best job you could expect somebody to do. Yeah, I'd, I'd say sorry, I'd say probably the first game, well, one of the first games this year where you felt like coaching wasn't really an issue. Coaching wasn't an issue at all. No. There's no way. If someone says coaching was an issue against the Chiefs... There were some questions. I have one can... issue, and I brought this up in a blog that I wrote earlier this week of the Chiefs recap. Um, in the very beginning of the second quarter, like literally the first or second play, the Jaguars are driving down the field, and they get stopped <coughs> in Chiefs territory right around the 30-yard line. That's a chip shot for Jason Myers. <coughs> We instead elect to go for it on fourth down when we're trailing 7-0. Had we gone for that field goal and made that field goal, and I was saying this while I'm watching the game, so I'm not being captain hindsight here. I believe the Jaguars should have taken the three points instead of going for it on fourth down. Those three points would have led the Jaguars to have 17 points on the final drive of the game, and instead of having to force their way into the end zone and Chris Ivory fumbling it, not fumbling it, whatever happened, they would have only needed three points at the end of the game to pull out a victory. So that is my only coaching criticism, and that falls on Gus Bradley, no one else. He's the captain of the ship, and uh, just another mistake from Gus. But That's got to be a hot seat he's sitting on, I mean. Well, you would think so, but you would it doesn't think. really seem it like it. Seem too <laughs> it doesn't seem Maybe like it. It seems like he's got to pass until at least the end of the season. I mean, for the team, I think the best would be him staying for the rest of the season. And I think the hot seat makes it more a comfortable situation for them all um, when it comes down to it. Going back to the fourth down, yeah, it's a bad decision probably, especially for fans to see that. But at the time, it could have been a knee-jerk decision that at the moment seemed like their best opportunity. They had momentum going with them, and they thought that maybe they could steal a couple yards, um, keep a drive going. But... That being said, yes, field goal probably was the best decision, but you also want to put trust in the guys that you have on the field to go in out and get opinion, that first In my opinion, he was not showing trust. He was, Of Jason Myers, yes. Well, <clears throat> no, I think he does trust Myers. In my opinion, if you feel in the very beginning of the second quarter that you have to get this touchdown because there's no other way that you're going to put up points the rest of the game, that's what I see. I see a coach that's like, look, I don't know if we're going to get into the red zone again. We need points. We need a touchdown. That's what I see, and I don't like it. I think you take the points against a good defense when you can. I mean, it's tough. It's everybody has you know their opinion on that. And yeah. what do you what do you think? Your opinion's about? wrong. Though. <laughs> I mean, apparently because they didn't get it. But <laughs> you know, it's always what wrong. What do you think about going for touchdowns versus taking the three points? I mean. It's all situational. Yeah. I mean, coming right out of halftime. I don't well, know. Well, it's the beginning not... of the second quarter. I'm sorry. Yeah. Beginning, at the beginning of the second quarter. Yeah. It, is it a little early? I mean, I think it was still a 10 point game at it that point. It was 7 0. It was 7 0. I mean, 
it, it, it's situational football is what it comes down to. You know, you're gonna it's it's gonna be up to the head coach. Right. So it, it comes down to his, his. Right. But what do you think? I understand. That. I'm just saying you can't really judge it based on that one situation. Well, if you're Gus Bradley, what are you doing? I think if I'm Gus Bradley, I mean, going off of the play call that he chose, I'm kicking the field goal. I'm not going to do that 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 offensive play. But I mean, again, it can go either way. Well, I don't think he would have called the offensive play. I think he would have just made the decision to go for it, and then yeah, Hackett calls the yeah. play. Well, but I mean, still. Anyways, it was actually a good play call. Hearns just dropped the ball. Yeah, that was I mean, brutal. At the, at the end of the day, I guarantee what happened is some, a similar situation where Gus Bradley says, Hackett, can we get it? Hackett says, yes, we can get it. Gus Bradley says, okay, I trust you. Let's do it. Um, it happens every day in the NFL. It happens every day in college football. It happens all the way down to peewee football. And if, it's and just if a Hearns, matter of execution. And if Hearns makes yeah. the catch, exactly. we're, we're not talking about, okay, look at the nuts on the big nuts Look on at the great call. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 He's in a hot seat. He makes the call. Yeah, you're, you're a hero yeah. if, it, if it goes well. And if you're not, you're the one taking the blunt of the, the result. Yeah. Well. That's why you get paid the big bucks. Yep. For yeah. the record, take the three. Those are hard to come by. We just, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you don't score. So yeah. we don't need to dwell on this one topic all night. But um, the offense, like we said, was able to really come together under Nathaniel Hackett. They rushed for over 200 yards. Chris Ivory became the first Jaguar of 2016 to surpass the 100-yard mark in a game. Blake Bortles ran the ball for 54 yards. And that's something that... He needs to rely on Yep. moving forward. Uh, he's not the most comfortable guy in the pocket, mm-hmm. and he excels when he gets out of the pocket and is either looking downfield to make a play or making plays with his legs. So I think that's something they got to keep improving on and working on. And TJ Yeldon didn't get a ton of carries in this one, but he did rack up 33 yards on his seven carries, which is an average of... Uh, I will say a lot of the times I was annoyed with how well Chris Ivory was doing that TJ Yeldon was in the game at certain situations, yeah. whether it's yeah, short yard situations or... Yeah, there just, was a play on the goal line exactly. where TJ got the ball instead of Ivory. Um, and these are little things. I that, don't have a problem with TJ getting the ball over to, Ivory in any situation. I think they're both really good. In really. short yarded situations, to me, I feel like a guy like Yeldon, he, he he dances a lot, you know. He Ivory kind of has been too this year, though. Yeah, but you bring in a guy like Ivory Look as at, your yeah. short yardage back. He's yeah. a guy who's a who's, yeah. Who's You're probably right. Ivory probably should get the ball there as a bowling but, ball of knives. So we so think good. Ivory should get the ball there, but it's not as bad as giving Toby Gerhardt the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Two, Two yards, Toby. No, no, you'll never <laughs> fail that one. Okay, so. Yes, we prefer Ivory, but nowhere near as terrible decision as yeah, the whole I mean, Gerhardt thing. They, they, they think they have two good running backs that they can rely on. It's 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 really, who knows if, if Ivory was just, you know, he'd been Fatigue. running a lot. Yeah. You know, he might have needed a, a breather, but if, to me, if you're running one yard, just put the guy in there and <laughs> have him lower his head. Yeah. We would be remiss if we didn't bring up Chris Ivory's ridiculous truck stick. Yes. Oh my god! See that, that that those are the kind of highlights yeah. that you're looking forward to when you send when you sign a guy like this in the offseason. Yeah, he's like baby beast mode. That's what yeah. you've seen over the last couple of years in New York, and we finally saw it this week, and it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, 
See, like, that guy didn't even put up any resistance. It didn't even look like it slowed Ivory down. No. Ivory mm-hmm. just lowered that shoulder, <laughs> yeah, and the dude just, bounced off, and Ivory gained, just kept like, trying. Right he showed some pretty good balance on the sideline. Yeah, yeah too, dude got some great agility. Yeah, so that was awesome to see the running game really come to life. Um, obviously, the Chiefs' rush defense isn't the greatest in football. In fact, it's one of the worst, but you got to do it against everybody, and we did it. Yeah, against the Chiefs. Yeah, and no, we, we, we hadn't done it against anybody except outside the Colts. The Colts. Yeah. That's why I mean, but, you give Hackett more time. He had five days. I mean, look at what he did in just that short amount of time. You know, give him more time. Let's see what happens. And a lot of that could be uncertainty of, you know, it's a new offense coordinator. There's not a lot of tape right. other than sure. so like the Chiefs also long. only had five days to prepare for exactly mm-hmm. Hackett too. That's so true. who knows what'll happen going forward? But it was definitely a good start. Now, uh, on the offensive line, yeah, clearly something was clicking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they, Hackett, <laughs> Hackett today in a press conference, he said um, he basically called Brandon Linder out as soon as he got appointed to offensive coordinator, and he said, you know, you're our leader on our offensive line, and you need to lead by example. And not that Linder was playing bad at all before that; he was still the best offensive lineman on the team. But you kind of need Hackett said, mail. step it up. You're the man. Let's do this. Yeah, you need somebody to lead by example. Yeah, just say yeah. we're not going to take shit from anybody. It doesn't, it doesn't mean your your play on the field is one thing, but it's what you do in the locker room. It's what you do in the meeting room. It's what you do showing the other guys on practice. You know the little niches of the game that they can work on. You know it's pulling them aside one on ones and in warm ups <laughs> in practice. You know it, it's those types of things that Hackett's saying like, you know, be 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 a leader. You know, help these guys out. Let's see what we can do. And so that was it was it was kind of a call out, but it was also kind of a challenge for him to to step up and start carrying himself like a top ten player. Yeah, and he really is, in my opinion, a top ten player moving yeah. forward. Absolutely. In terms of his position, I want to know. I want to know what center position. Oh yeah, absolutely. real football coach. Yeah. So <laughs> and the room yeah. has to say about it. The res- We're all yapping away like the, res- we know what we're the resident about. expert. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, expert, Hunter's an expert. The offensive coordinator at Mandarin High School, like we said. Mm, don't say that this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, Hunter does a great job, and he's very knowledgeable, and uh, he's worked with O line in the past, so. What you got for us? What'd you see? Well, I mean, if I uh, going back to Hackett, um, just started off. I actually was had a chance to meet Hackett before the season started, um, along with Greg Olson, and it's just it's a different mentality, it's a different enthusiasm that they each bring. Ol- Olson was a very laid back kind of just go out get the job done, blue collar kind of guy, and Hackett brought an enthusiasm that not many people you see bring. He's very Energetic and everything about him is, you know, 120%. It's it's never slow, um, <clears throat> and you can see that going back to Syracuse with Ryan Nassib and even back to Buffalo Bills. Yeah, he got that guy drafted. <laughs> he got, yeah. I mean, he got Ryan Nassib drafted, and he made EJ Manuel look like a serviceable NFL quarterback. Yeah, which obviously we know is not true. Right. Yeah. Um. So if you look back at what he's and he did done, good work with Orton in Buffalo as he, well. Kyle. He turned Kyle Orton into a spread off spread <laughs> offense quarterback, which yeah. is absurd to me. <laughs> um. But <clears throat> on your point on the offensive line, Linder is a. I mean, he's a man, and it's mm. it's about time we saw that man come out. Um. And going back to the point about the Kansas City Chiefs uh, rush defense. You know, 
at times you can line up against a Pop Warner team, but you just got to do it. Right. And I think they needed to know that they can do it mm-hmm. and not be told, but actually to put it into action. Because th- yeah. those guys get paid too. Yeah, they it's get their job. To it's stop. their job, and at the end of the day, those Chiefs are professional athletes who are at least on that same level as with one of the best records in the in the AFC. Exactly. Or the yeah. NFL. What are they? What are they? Six and six two. And two They're six and six two, and two yeah. now. Um, so yeah, you go on the field and you do it and you put it on film and your fans and you get to see it and it's it's probably a a great sigh of relief for not only them but for Hackett and for um, you know the offensive line coach um, and the running back coach and all the way down to the the ball boy you know they're, they're <laughs> it's it's happiness I'm sure for all of them that they had some kind of success no matter who it was against absolutely so. Um... We'll get into a little bit more offensive line talk when we get into our midseason recap here with Hunter. But um, uh, we're going to move on to the defense a little bit and talk about how well the defense played against the Chiefs' offense. Was that a symptom of the Chiefs being without their starting quarterback and their two best running backs? Or do you think it was... The Jaguars' defense just playing that well, or maybe a combination of both. What do you think, Scott? I mean, going up against the de- an offense missing their number one quarterback, their top two running backs, their their number one wide receiver played a handful of players. Yeah, he clearly wasn't. Travis Kelsey, their arguably best player, Gets got ejected. ejected. <laughs> That was <laughs> that was absolutely hilarious. It, it was it was funny. What's the ejection? Yeah, I mean. When when you play in the NFL and you go up against a team like that, you expect that. Yeah. And you expect when the only points that they can get are points that come off of turnovers in your territory, you expect to win those kind of games. Yeah. And right. I mean the defense did what turnovers. to me the defense did what it was supposed to do. You know, it, it handled a team that was severely lacking their top tier talent and they played really well. They they, they basically pitched a shutout. Um, they just had a few errors on the offense. Yeah, they they played really well, and they've been playing really well for the most part over the past, you know, the whole season the defense has really been carrying the offense for most of the games. There's yeah, obviously yeah. I think, a few outliers where <clears throat> the defense just couldn't hold up with the offense doing nothing. I, but saw, I think Kansas City was 1 for 14 They on were 1 for 14 downs. on third down, absolutely. That's... that's that's that doesn't sound like a Jaguars. Yeah, that does not. That's that's highly unheard of for a Jags defense. I mean, that's that's the name of the game, right? You stop them on third down, get off the field, get your offense back on, and that's one of the things that the Jaguars just aren't known for accomplishing. I mean, they're they're not a third down stopping team. So to to hear that, you know, is is like what what what? Who did that? Yeah, who did that? Yeah, it, it, the Jags. It's, it's a great no. sign. But then you see who it's going up against. Yeah, and you're like, exactly. okay, well, they, yeah. they should have done that. You can understand. Well, now I'll give them some credit because Sharkhandrick West is a guy who's done it before starting, and so is Nick Foles. Uh, Nick Foles, last time he played the Jaguars, torched him for over 300 let's, yards. Let's not yeah. go there. I'm just saying, like those guys are not—they're not starting in the NFL for no reason, even mm-hmm. if they're technically backups. Those are good football players, and they did a really good job against them. The only issue I have with our defense right now is the fact, well, the pass rush played well against the Chiefs. But again against the Chiefs, and for over a month now, the Jaguars defense hasn't been able to force a turnover. 
We kind of did. And then yeah, we, 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 we were our own worst enemy. <laughs> yeah, which is my what the F moment of the week. Prince Amukamara and Tashawn Gibson not seeing each other at all. No one calls for the ball. Prince Amukamara catches it, and Tashawn just runs right into him, and <laughs> bam! You get, you get, he, you hit, get. he hit Prince Amukamara harder that, on that play than he has hit any receiver all year. That's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> that was that was bad. Was, so yeah, no, it's exactly like, it's yeah. like the exact opposite of the Chris Ivory hit. Yeah, so, it's, I mean, it's like. Oh wow, we're on the positive side of oh. Uh, never yeah. mind. Burn, burn that the Jaguars yeah. yeah. again. Right. Yeah, we're we're even now. There's our Jaguars we know Ooh. and love. So obviously defense playing very well. They just need to find a way to create turnovers and um, really just to be more consistent getting after the quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. We will get to one more bright spot from this game, and that was Marquise Lee, who he really has just been a revelation all year. He really has. He showed his speed uh, this week. There was one play early on in the game where him and Marcus Peters were lined up one-on-one on the outside, and Lee just burned him. Peters had no chance. And that's the type of um, talent you expect to see out of a guy that was drafted in front of Allen Robinson and many people believe <coughs> should have been a first-round pick. Yeah. If not a top-ten pick. I mean... You look at, I mean, yes, Probably he was before the without the knee, right? Without the knee injury, yeah. Yeah. he was regarded as a a, a possible top ten. Pick. Absolutely, I mean, he was easily one of the top five players well, in college. I mean, yeah. look at his college career; he's maybe one of the most dominating receivers we've seen in college football in the past decade. If he's up there with, you know, Julio Jones and some of those guys that Mari Cooper, you throw the ball to him, they're probably going to score. If yeah. not score, they're going to make a difference in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that knee injury definitely hurt him. But It was really fun to see him work <clears throat> against the Chiefs, who have such a good secondary. Yeah. yeah. They couldn't even slow him Eric down. Eric Berry, those guys. I mean, yeah, Eric Berry's a great safety. But, I mean, you go one-on-one with Marcus Peters and just burn him, good yeah. for you. Like, Marcus Peters is the elite young cornerback in the NFL right now. Yeah. Bottom line. And uh, that was just really impressive. So, that's pretty much it for our Chiefs recap. Really disappointing the Jaguars couldn't come away with a victory, but there's a lot of positive signs. I know people don't want to see positive signs. They want to see wins. But those positive signs could lead to wins yep. coming up in the near future. I know, I know it doesn't say much, but you, you don't turn the ball over four times and get zero turnovers and lose by five. Not in the NFL. Yeah, that's crazy. You you commit four turnovers and get none of your own, that's a blowout usually. Yeah, and if you you have half of those, you win that game. Yeah, I mean, mean, if the Jaguars had forced one turnover, they probably would have won the game. This, for me, is one of those games where the Chiefs, they go in the locker room and they sit there and they look at themselves and they say, how the hell did we win this game? Yeah, absolutely. You know, how, 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 how did we, like... How did this happen, you know? Yeah, and it happens because Blake Bortles made another phantom throw to a... Mm. And he almost threw it. He had a couple of bad throws. Kibi Guru. But he had a terrible throw across the middle that was picked off and a couple other bad ones. But I will say for the most part, Bortles played a lot better and a lot more comfortable in this game. And he, he hit some receivers in stride to where they were actually able to... 
not slow down and try to track down the ball. They were able to just keep running and unless you're Alan that's Robinson. a really positive sign. Yeah, unless you're Allen Allen Robinson or Allen Hearns who while they are putting up okay numbers this year. Nothing like last year. It is. It looks like different players, but I digress. We'll get into an injury. Soph- sophomore slump. Well, well even this then. is their third year. Still. <laughs> Still. You know, it's, a, it's just an older sophomore. Yeah. <laughs> they failed their second year. Yeah. <laughs> Held back. So, anyways, we'll get into a little bit of an injury report here. Hearns did suffer a concussion in the matchup against the Chiefs, and so did Brian Walters. Yeah. And uh, it appears that neither Wait. of them are... Four and three, Brian, fourth down and three, Brian Walters? Yeah. yeah. The go-to guy with the game on the line, Brian Walters, that guy? Yeah. No. So, obviously you're pretty pissed about that. You probably won't have to see him this week. So that's good for you because he also has a concussion. Obviously, we well, don't. obviously we don't want to wish ill will on anybody. But. Well, you don't want to see him out there on fourth and three, and I don't blame you. So, <laughs> Jared Audrick, uh, he's been battling injuries all year. He was spotted at practice um, Wednesday, to, which is today when we're recording the show. Um, so he could be back. He's. Not a great player, but he's definitely a guy that helps out up front, and uh, he provides more pass rush than Tyson Alawalu. Or do you, yeah, I mean, do you think he's a guy that comes back next year, though? Uh, I have no <clears throat> idea. He gets paid a pretty decent salary, and he's really not contributing a ton. Depends on what the new coaching staff want to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Hold <Okay>. on. <laughs> Whoa, buddy. Whoa, buddy. Miles Jack also wasn't at practice. He apparently has a hip injury, but he's day-to-day. It doesn't seem like anything too serious. So, again, I'm Jordan DeLugo. You can find me at Jordan DeLugo on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We've got Scott Klein on Twitter, at ScottKlein1. That's K-L-E-I-N-1. And we've got Grant Gunderson, at BoldCityG underscore on Twitter. Hunter Evans is the man of a million <laughs> underscores. No, not really. He really only has two, but it just seems like a lot. He's at Hunter underscore Evans underscore seven. And, of course, you must follow Generation Jaguar on Facebook and Instagram, at Generation Jaguar, on Twitter, at Generation Jag, and make sure to check out our website, genjag.com. So now that we've given you a little injury report, Little uh, Chiefs recap. We're going to get into a midseason recap, seeing as how the Jaguars have played exactly eight games. Obviously, to this point, the season has been a major, major disappointment to fans, <coughs> ownership, players, coaches, everyone. Uh, let's start off with the apparent <coughs> regression of Blake Bortles and the Allens, his two top targets. What do you think, Hunter? Whew. Well, I mean, going with Blake Bortles, when you're throwing the ball from your ankles, <laughs> it's, it's hard to be successful in the NFL. And when in the middle of the season you have to bring a guy who you consider a quarterback guru and you're out on the beach with little water wings, you know, practicing, that's not a good sign. I think um, it, it's hard to say he's not the guy for the Jaguars or he is the guy. It's... At, at what point does he just step up and play football? He, yeah. Do what you are paid to do. Do what you should be loving to do. Um, 
I think Blake Bortles is a uh, he's an exceptional talent. I mean, we've seen it for two years prior to this. It's just a matter of him being comfortable and him going out and executing what they're asking of him. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think last year it was more of Blake Bortles. He's just he didn't have to worry about his his wind up as much. He he had gotten it tapered down mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, he, he had worked on it big time that yeah. offseason. And he was just he was just going out and playing. It's kind of like a golfer. When you're you're thinking about your swing, you're like, okay, got I got the yips. He's got the yips. Yeah, you know, he, yeah. you're thinking about your swing. You're you're trying to to think yourself through it instead of just feeling it. Instead of just just hitting it and go. <laughs> it's that's it's it's hard once you get into that mindset to really get out of it without just repetition of doing doing the thing the correct way, getting it muscle memory, getting it over and over and over and over until it's burned into your brain to where it's. Just second nature, yeah. And it's like, like he said it, like Under said, it's it's really hard when to do that mid season when you're trying to game plan, when you're prepping for the um, upcoming game. Um, it's something where it might take another off season to see. Hey, let's see how this guy bounces back. Yeah. So obviously with Bortles, it's a little easier to see what's going on. You see the the mechanics aren't right. You see his frustration. You can pretty much just tell that. The game is in his head right now. Now, when you move to wide receivers, Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns, what is the deal with that? They're not creating as much separation as they did last year, and they're not catching the ball with nearly as much um, success. Right now, Allen Hearns has caught 31 of his 60 targets, just over 50% compared to where he was at last year was at a 60% clip at the end of the season. And Robinson has really fallen off. He's only caught 39 out of 82 <coughs> targets this year. 36%. And, you know, these guys, uh, they have been able to find the end zone. Robinson four times, Hearns twice. They have almost 500 yards halfway through the season, so they could easily reach 1,000 yards receiving each of them. But it, it just hasn't been the same. And what do you think the deal is with that, Grant? I... I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is Bortles. I mean, when your quarterback regresses, I think, yes, they're going to take a step back as well. I mean, it's not like they're not going to feel the effects of that. Um, you know, you, you look at, too, you know, you look at some of the players, you know, we're, we're, they're playing better defenses this year. Um, you know, you, you could make an argument for that. But I, I think, you know, I don't, know, I don't really know what, what you chalk it up to. I mean, the – the talent is there. They're the most talented guys in the league. You could you could make an, an argument for. Um, so I, I think what it boils down to is Bortles' regression. Um, I think the system that Greg Olson, you know, the, the plays that he was calling just wasn't suited to the needs of those three. Yeah. I think you look at the, the the type of offense they ran last year. It <laughs> suited all three of them collectively. And then also at that point, as you guys mentioned, you know, Bortles working on his mechanics to where they didn't become a factor. They weren't something that he had to think about, and it was effortless. You know, when you take that away, it, it changes things. Now, have these receivers possibly not worked as hard as they should have this off season? Like a lot of us have said, Blake Bortles needed to work harder. I've I've been noticing a lot lately. You you can see how much Allen Robinson's getting targeted. Yeah, he's eighty two targets. targets on the year, and it's I think a lot of it. I see Allen Robinson rounding off a lot of routes, not really running 
as sharply and, and, and making, making these quick cuts, fighting back towards the ball, or really even making an effort to catch the ball like we saw on, the, on the, one of the deep passes in this last game. Yeah. It's something – I mean, I, you, I don't know if he's just, his also, frustration has taken over. Yeah, you could also argue, too, that now, like last year, I think what happened last year was the NFL was kind of put on notice, like – Oh, yeah, no question. Holy crap. Yeah, like, and he's getting these, a safety rolled over him. These are, these are the two guys we've now got to make it a point to study – you know, it's like they're their own case study for teams over the off season. Yeah. But we and we so, saw last year. I mean, there were there were a whole highlight reel of him going just using his athleticism against right. two, even sometimes three defenders, and just going and getting the ball. And you don't see that this year. Yeah, I think that Grant is partially correct with yeah. the defenses being more in tune with what these guys are mm-hmm. doing, but. I think that's not the whole story. No. And I don't think Bortles' regression is the whole story either because if you look at Hearns and Robinson, who have clearly fallen off a little bit this year, the complete opposite is happening with the guy who was taken by the Jaguars before both of them in the 2014 draft, who's Marquise Lee. We talked about Marquise Lee a little bit before. He's catching 69% of his passes compared to... Hearns and Robinson, who are around 50% or sub-50%. And he's caught 34 of his 49 targets, 442 yards, which is the same as Robinson, one yard less than Hearns, while he's had significantly less targets than both of them. Well, and that, and that's another point, too. Like, are, are Hearns and Robinson being targeted so much that, that people are going out there using, you know, four, four D-backs to, to cover those two guys – and that's why Marquise is getting so many targets. Well, as a Jaguar fan, I mean, I'm okay with those guys getting well, doubled. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. But if you if you spread those targets out evenly, what do you think the results are? Are well, all it's we all- can say is that so far this year, the results would be <clears throat> could be significantly better than they have been. Exactly. Yeah. In in the NFL, it's all about exploiting a matchup. Yeah. If you got if you have a guy roll, a safety rolling over the top of Allen Robinson. He's getting doubled. You've got the second best corner over on uh, on Allen Hearns. You've got maybe the slot guy, right. or even potentially a linebacker, a linebacker. or a safety on Marquise Lee. He's he should win that matchup. A lot of those matchups he has been winning, but he's even been beating elite corners like Marcus Peters. So yeah. it's not just that. And for some perspective on his sixty nine percent catch rate on targeted balls. Antonio Brown and Julio Jones catch 63% of their passes this year, whereas Lee catches 69 So he is working with some incredible efficiency as a receiver. He really is. And he's starting to excel as a kick returner. He is an incredibly explosive kick returner, and he showed it a lot against the Chiefs. So you got to be happy with Marquise Lee. Speaking of someone who should be catching more balls from Blake Bortles, Julius Thomas has only 21 catches, only 37 targets on the year. He has found the end zone three times, which you can't you can't hate on that. If you have a tight end that scores six touchdowns a year, yeah, you're, that, you're good to go. That's that's a Hall of Fame tight end career right there. Yeah. But 21 catches is not enough. Where is he in the offense? Yeah. I I think going. I mean, even with the receivers, it's there's very few things that I want to blame coaches on. Because you just don't know. You're not you're not in the room. You don't know their game plan. Mm-hmm. But the simplicity of how they try to use the Allen brothers, 
it, it was a little absurd earlier in the year. It was like they, it was so obvious how they were trying to find those guys. And I think the same thing has taken effect with Julius Thomas. It's like, no crap, you're going to throw it to Julius Thomas here. Or, oh, we know when you're lining up this way, it's going to the big guy. And yes. I, and I, I kind of feel like Greg Olson kind of got into that rut. Yeah, yeah, where was, he was like, okay, it's it's very four. tendency based. We're going to go back to this place. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a team could sit there and be like, it's third and four. Uh, we know what what do you coming. think they're going to do? I mean, yeah. same formation, same motion, same everything. Um, it, it just got really repetitive, I think. Really um, stale. Very stale. And I don't like to blame coaches. I don't like it, especially at this level. The guys have to execute at a certain point. But at any level of football, if you are not scheming and game planning and adjusting, you're not going to succeed. And when you have a tight end in Julius Thomas, not just Julius Thomas, when you have two tight ends with Mercedes Lewis and Julius Thomas, you've got to find a way to get them the ball. Yeah. Find a way to put them on the field, get the matchup you want, especially with the defenses that teams are playing now, where you can almost guarantee you're going to get a tight end matchup on a slot corner or a safety at some point. Yeah, yeah. Put them, put them at the H back. You know, try them out there. Mix try, it up. yeah, try different things. Mix it up. Put, put. Bortles in the shotgun with Ivory on one side and mm-hmm. Thomas on the other side. Slip him out of the back. Exactly. Something. That's Put another him. thing. Moving forward, do y'all think our best option running the ball is from the shotgun? Mm-hmm. It worked really well no. against the Chiefs. No. I don't know I, if that's a permanent thing. I think because it worked against the Chiefs is based off of Nathaniel Hackett's um, offensive scheme. Yeah. He's a spread style. He likes to horizontally spread a defense, make them run sideline to sideline, and then I'm going to take it right up the middle, and I'm going to create vertical lanes. Yeah, he'll put three Um, wide receiver sets and and run out of that. It's tough. It's really tough to guard because you're stuck in nickel and dime packages Mm -hmm. if you're a defense, which means you got maybe four defense alignment and a true linebacker on the field, which is very hard to play. When you got five 300-pound linemen coming at you and Chris Ivory or possibly a tight end if you play it right and in the backfield. Slip them out into the space. That's yeah. tough. Yeah. And I, I do think, and it's not just the Jaguars, but the NFL game as a whole is moving to a spread-style run mm-hmm. where, yeah, you'll still see that the gap schemes, the powers, the counters, the you know all those great things that the old-timers will love myself love but you'll start to see more inside and outside zone and traps and I mean, yeah, spread style I mean you look at too like <clears throat> when have we seen Mercedes Lewis make plays from a, a, a an offense a passing offense perspective it's when he's doing tight end screens when you're running three wide receiver sets you know, and you, you have Bortles back there in shotgun with one guy on his left and one guy on his right. It doesn't have to be a fullback. It can be an H-back tight end. It can be, you know, Ivory. It can be it can be Lewis and, and Thomas. Yeah. You know, you, you, what would that do, you know, if you have both of them next to him? So I think there's a lot of different ways. Hopefully Nathaniel Hackett will, will pick up on that, and maybe we, we'll see some of that in the coming weeks, which would be nice. But I just, I just think Greg Olson was just – like you said, too tendency based. He was too predictable. You know, teams could line up and oh, yep, this is what they're doing. And then the next play, yep, this is what they're going to do. If they're lining <clears> up, they're running this motion. This is what they're going to do. But I think guys like Thomas and 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 Lewis are tremendous athletes. You know, absolutely. Plus, it's just fun to watch Mercedes Lewis run down the field. Oh, oh it is, man. Awesome. <laughs> when he has an open field in front of him, just seeing him. 
It takes him 12 years to get going. But once he gets going. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, he's going downhill. You see the rest of the guys really trying to get out in front of him and get good blocks (laughs) for him. Because they love Marcel. He made a hell of a play, too, this past past week against the Chiefs um, for a a guy who was hanging all over him. He He made a tough catch. That was a critical first down. So I mean he's, I mean he's he's known as a blocking kind of guy, but he, you know he's he's been he, he can make plays in the play. passing game, no yeah. doubt. Um, so we've got to touch on. This is part of the season, <clears throat> the and it's been a big part of the first half of the season. Don't do it. The, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we're not going to talk too much about it, but the civil war between <laughs> Jaguars fans and players—it's been ugly. There's <clears throat> been four players: Rashad Green. Allen Robinson, Malik Jackson, and Telvin Smith all came out and said some not-so-great things about their fans, and a lot of it wasn't accurate. But we've reported on that before. We've talked about that before. Now we have a new development in the story, which is Malik Jackson apologizing to the fans this week on 1010XL. He joins the Midday Chalk every Tuesday at noon. That's a show over on 1010XL. So he had some, some much kinder words to say to the fans this week. And uh, we'll go ahead and just read you what he had to say to the fans. He says, I thought about this long and hard. I went home and closed all my windows and shut off the lights and was like, Dang, Malik, you criticize these fans. I hope they're not mad at you. And I apologize if I hurt anyone's feelings. But I think if you guys show up and yell your butts off, we can go out there. We can bridge the gap. And... Yes, brace yourself for this. We can be great again. A Donald Trump reference. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, Trump train. I mean, I'm not sure if Malik was hinting at his personal political <laughs> affiliation, yeah. but it was a kind of interesting thing to finish out his quote. But the good thing is he clearly realized he pissed the fans off. He clearly realized he didn't want the fans to be pissed off at yeah. him. And he came back... And he said he's sorry. Obviously saying, I apologize if I hurt anyone's feelings isn't always the most sincere way to apologize. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, when, you're, when your friend's like, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. You're like, no, I want you to be sorry because <laughs> what you did was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. He clearly wants to bridge the gap, and I think that's a great thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, he came out, he realizes, you know, he's, the fans aren't really somebody that should be, you should be going after. It's not, they're not they're not a target for your frustration. Yeah. But for him, for for me, it's kind of when he he ends he ends the uh, the quote. He says, "If you guys show up and yell your butts off, we can go out there, we can bridge the gap, and we can be great again." Well, it's like a I backhanded mean, apology. Yeah. It's yeah. it's 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 not the fans' job to prop think, you up. Look, I think and, I think and a for lot you to of do people agreed with you on this one, and I think a lot of people see it the same way but I personally don't I think Malik was very sincere if you listen to the tone of his voice he really is trying to bridge the gap he's, he's yeah and he, the, you know he's at least he's making an effort he's yeah. saying you know I, 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 I it's not something where I should have really done this yeah but he's he's trying to say you know come out there and support but it's yeah we can do it together I'm with him I'm with you Malik I don't know about everybody else <laughs> but we've got to move on to a look around the AFC South so the Texans, who the Jaguars are playing this week, are in first place in their division. They're coming off a bye week. Um, 
Their defense is playing really well against the pass, but they're not good against the run at all. And uh, so, and they've obviously got their issues with Brock Osweiler. You don't really know what's going to happen the rest of the season with that. But they are five and three. They're in first place in the division, and uh, they control their own destiny at this point. Then you've got the Colts and Titans, both of whom are four and five. They're both in front of the Jaguars right now. Yes, the Jaguars are in last place. Um, the Colts just beat the reeling Packers and Green Bay. Their defense is still terrible. <clears throat> Almost gave that game up, too. Yeah, their they defense did, is no good, but their offense can go out and win any given Sunday against any team because of Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton and Frank Gore and the improved offensive <clears throat> line. Um, they just have a really talented offense with one of the best quarterbacks in the game. So then you've got the Titans. Like we said, they have the same record as the Colts. They're 4-5 and five as well. They just went out to San Diego and lost a heartbreaker to the Chargers. It's tough to win in San Diego, especially if you're an East yeah, Coast team. Is. So they dropped to 4-5. and five. They're playing pretty well, but I don't think they have the talent or the experience to consistently win week in and week out against tough matchups. <clears throat> no. So um, that leaves you with the Jags, who are 2-6. and six. They're struggling in last place, but the Jags still have four division games left on their schedule. They... They could, they could fight their way back into contention for this division. It would take a lot, but it yeah. be tough. it's possible still. Is the yeah, point. There's a lot of good football teams that we're going up against. Yeah, the, the Jaguars have a tough schedule at Buffalo, at Detroit, against Denver and Minnesota at home, which neither of those games is looking as tough as it was earlier in the season, but still. The only, the only teams under 500 are the divisional teams yeah. that we play against for the rest of the way. So it'll be, be tough, tough. but... They're still there. Yeah. Amazingly. If somehow they can put a string of wins together for, I don't know how I'm saying this, but the door is not closed just yet. <laughs> it really isn't somehow. So, um, again, I'm Jordan DeLugo. It's very, very slightly open. But <laughs> it's, it's like you can just barely see that light peeking through. It's almost closed, but not quite. So, if the Jaguars get it done this week, they could get right back in the division race. Um I'm Jordan DeLugo. Find me at Jordan DeLugo on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Scott Klein on Twitter is at ScottKlein1. Hunter Evans on Twitter is Hunter underscore Evans underscore 7. I did that without even looking at my screen. And we've got Grant Gunderson, who's also on Twitter, at BoldCityG underscore. So, Grant, we're going to go ahead, and before we get into the Texans preview, we're going to get a little info from Grant regarding what Jen Jag has going on this weekend. Yep, we are, uh, the way it worked out this year is a little weird. November, we have one home game, so uh, go big or go home, they say. Uh, it's our time to rally with, with Malik this Sunday. We'll be at our usual spot at the corner of Brian Adams Street, 9.30, a, 9 o'clock a.m. early. The vodka yeah. may or may not be already open once you arrive, but <laughs> we'll we'll leave that for, for you to find out. And, uh, you know, we'll be, be there. Open. We will uh, we will have Metro Diner Chicken Biscuits for all of our wonderful Gen Jag Ooh. members. And we will also have Revelry Clothing out with us again. We had them out with us at the Bricks this last weekend doing a little pop-up shop and collaboration. Really thankful for those guys, you know, Ryan Montez, who's over at Revelry Clothing, coming out, doing a pop-up shop, doing some great work. They will be out with us having a pop-up shop. We'll have Flip Cup, we'll have Beer Pong, we'll have a keg stand, and it'll be a damn good time. Absolutely. Um, 
And don't forget to follow Revelry Clothing on all their social media and their website is revelry.clothing. They have a lot of really, really nice designs coming out and uh, a lot of new stuff will be coming up for them on the horizon too. So Yeah, they, they just launched their website actually and they're getting ready. They have cluster number 001, which is their original cluster. And and from what I hear through the grapevine, they have, they have some big things coming up uh, next weekend actually. Absolutely. So uh, make sure to give them a follow and make sure to follow Generation Jaguar at Generation Jaguar on Facebook and Instagram at Generation Jag on Twitter. And make sure to check out our awesome website, genjag.com. That's right. So now we can get into our final segment of the show, Jaguars versus Texans, Divisional Showdown. So... The Jaguars, since 2014, have not beaten Houston. That's four straight losses to the Houston Texans. So, how do they do, how do they win this week? Well, finally, God. <laughs> put everything together for 60 minutes. Yep. And just win. That's, or 45 minutes. But yeah, 45. But that's all it boils down Anything. to. Just win. Win. Like. Don't lose. Like, yeah. At some point, you just got it. He's you cracked the you code. just gotta understand. Don't lose, and I think this week they can do it. It's just don't. You lose. know when I when I look at this game, there's so many different angles you could look at it. You know their defense, not having JJ Watt, but not playing horribly. But I, I think today Bill O'Brien said it best. You know reporters, they had a great media session. And it was asked, you know, they they were they were asked about the matchup, but that, that you hit on this week of talking about DeAndre Hopkins and Jalen Ramsey, and and Bill Bryan he heard it here first. <laughs> he That's said, one of my three matchups to watch said, on my blog. <laughs> he said these are the matchups that make the NFL the NFL. Absolutely, and and he's right. These are two young but extremely talented players. You know, you look at Jalen Ramsey, by far the best corner we've ever had in, in a long time. Maybe even since Donovan Darius. Well, Darius so, was a safety, but well, best I mean, defensive back. Best defensive back. Yeah. We'll, we'll go to best defensive back. No and, tops double D. No. <laughs> and, 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 Say that to his face. Yeah. <laughs> hey. I saw him a couple weeks ago. He could still play. He, yeah, yeah. No, no he no. could. The, the, the dude could still play. But to, to that point, you know, two young players that are – Emerging to be the, the top five at their position. I mean, and Hopkins has been top five. If you I ask mean, me. yeah, yeah. That dude is a stud. easily. What's he done Ooh. this year, though? Well, I'll tell you exactly yeah. what he's yeah. done this year. Yeah. Brock Osweiler does. He'll, he'll, he'll tell you how he's been doing this year. <laughs> he he's actually still not doing bad. He still has four touchdowns and over four hundred yards receiving. So he's still putting up his numbers. But right, I, I, I follow your point. He's not putting up the gaudy numbers that we're used right, to. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. But right. you, you look at back with, with guys like Brian Hoyer last year when he was putting up just crazy numbers. Yeah. I mean, if, if you ask me, that matchup is going to determine the outcome of this game. Yeah. I mean... That matchup alone, huh? Yeah. All right. I don't. That's I a don't, bold. That's a bold that's, statement. That's beyond bold. I feel like, <laughs> especially when you look at the rest of the Jaguars team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, for me, I mean, getting the ball to Hopkins is a bigger issue than Hopkins beating Jalen Ramsey. Um, they, Brock Osweiler, he's been struggling, and that's yeah. an understatement. His I mean, checkbook he, isn't. 
That's right. <laughs> no, he's, he's breaking sure the bank. His, on that his check was great while he's checking down. The yards per completion for Brock Osweiler yeah, pretty are, ugly. is abysmal. Yeah. He won't throw the ball downfield, or he, he just – he's wildly inaccurate. I don't – I just feel like with a competent quarterback, DeAndre Hopkins would be – yeah, putting up numbers like he usually does. Um, for me, the position I'm looking for is running backs going up against their defense. I mean, our running backs, our the running Jaguars' backs. running backs yeah. versus yeah. the Texans' defense. Absolutely. I mean, if we can run the ball, their offense, much like I mean, to this me, that week, might be the biggest matchup right there. Yeah, this like much like this past week, their passing game. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins can make plays. He he's but we're gonna stick Jalen Jalen on him, and he's gonna give him hell of a time. Yeah. Um, Lamar Miller, I'm not. I mean, he's 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 a he's a he's a he's an okay good football guy. I'm player. Not worried about him. But he's I not mean, a guy that I'm I'm gonna. Oh my! What are we gonna do to stop this guy? He's a good running back, and I think he's a guy that we will find a way to slow down. But it only takes one missed assignment for Lamar Miller to go all the way. I, He's one of the fastest players in the NFL. I feel like if we control the clock, we can run the ball. We don't turn the ball over. Just as long as the ball stays in our hands. I mean, hold it to one turnover, and we should be in the game. Yeah. I mean, the Texans haven't created in our, in our defense. The Texans haven't created that many. Exactly. This year. Absolutely. In the matchup of Blake Bortles versus Blake Bortles, <laughs> who will win? <laughs> who will win? Because the Texans' defense—they're not going to be the ones. They're not going to be the ones. That are creating the turnovers. They only have three interceptions all year. Yeah. Guess who they're tied with at the bottom of the league? Hmm. Who could that be? Who could that be? (laughs) Yes, the Jaguars, but also the Colts. Oh. Oh. Jaguars, Colts, and Texans. Mighty, mighty AFC South. (laughs) All three teams have only three interceptions. Duval versus all y'all. And that is the worst in the NFL. So, if it's Bortles... Throwing interceptions, it's going to be Bortles making terrible plays, not their defense creating the turnovers, in my opinion. Now, Bortles does have a really, really tough cornerback that he's going to be going up against. What do you think about him, Scott? Yeah, it's a guy, at the beginning of the season, you go, who? Who? Some undrafted corner out of UCF? And who is it? A.J. Boye? A.J. Boye. Tell us about him. He's been playing. He came out of nowhere. Has been playing lights out. He's at nine pass breakups on the season. I mean, and yeah, you get eighteen on the year. That's a that's a bunch of pass breakups. He's sure. he's he's a player. They're gonna put him against your best corner. They got another guy, Kevin Johnson, that they got out of um, they got in the first round last year. Mm-hmm. Um, they their pass defense is playing really well. That's one of their strengths of their defense. But it's because of unsung, unsung heroes like A.J. Boye, who came out of nowhere, that are playing really well. And it's going to be a fun matchup to see any of our guys go up, go up against these young corners. Absolutely. And um, to touch again on the Ramsey versus Hopkins matchup, Ramsey's been shutting guys out lately, big time. He's killing it, obviously. Hopkins has been down a little bit this year, but against the Jaguars, Hopkins excels. Last year in his two matchups against the Jags, he averaged 118 and a half yards and a touchdown. Like if he does that against us 
on Sunday, we might not be sitting pretty. The guy that was lining up across him that was on the bench. Yep, Devon will we'll not be covering him. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. And uh, I think we're all happy, much happier seeing Ramsey out there than House. But House, just just a quick note, House is another guy that I don't know if he comes back with Yeah, Audric him and Audric, yeah. both 2015 free agent signees. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned the running game versus the Texans front seven. Our running game... Seemingly, it's very talented. Chris Ivory's talented. TJ Eldon's talented. Brandon Lender, talent. AJ Can, talent. Kelvin Beecham, talent. It's not been performing well this year, save last week. Then you go to the other side of the ball and you've got the Texans' run defense. Their front seven is loaded with talent. They have Whitney Merciless, Brian Cushing, Vince Wilfork. They have all sorts of talented guys. Jadavian Clowney. But for some reason, they're giving up four and a half yards of carry and over 125 yards a game on the ground. So you kind of have a weakness versus a weakness that you wouldn't really think would be weaknesses based on the talent on both sides of the ball. It's kind of like losing the best player in the NFL hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knew? J.J. Watt made a difference. So, obviously the Jaguars really excelled with their running game last week. Does that carry over to this week, Hunter? What do you see? I, I think it most certainly does. I think it, again, boils down to Nathaniel Hackett. He finds ways to be able to run the ball when you want to run the ball compared to when it looked like we were having to run the ball when we needed to run the ball. Yeah, We were running the ball to complement our passing game yeah. where it should have been the other way around. Our running backs in that front five should have been – running the ball when they wanted to, and we should have been passing just because. Um, and I think we finally have a scheme and maybe an offense coordinator that can do that for the, us. Yeah, and he seems like a guy that can go punch, counterpunch. Like Greg Olson, it seemed like, never adjusted the game plan during no. the game. No. I think Hackett's a guy that can do that. Yeah, I don't know why Olson wasn't seemingly doing that. I th- I think uh, I mean if you want to use like a baseball guy, if a pitcher sits there and throws fastballs and then all of a sudden throws a changeup, you kind of know the changeup's coming, especially if guys are catching up to the fastball. And that's what Greg Olson looked like. He would throw the ball to Allen Robinson and Allen Hearns, and then his changeup was, oh, we can't throw the ball. Let's hand the ball off to T.J. Yeah, Yeldon. Second and ten. He second waited, and ten outside yeah, zone. Outside he zone, waited yeah. to make his <laughs> counter punch until. The other team already knew it, what was going to come. Yeah, at least they might not know exactly, but they had an idea. And they right. could prepare for that. And I think with Nathaniel Hackett's scheme, he's going to not only play at a high tempo where it's hard to scheme against that, hard to make substitutions, hard to get calls on the field, but it's also going to be kind of slightly unpredictable, and if, if you want to use that word. And a little bit creative, I think, is a better way. Not unpredictable, but he's going to be creative with how he gets to the ball to Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, Marquise Lee, Julius Thomas, Mercedes Lewis, TJ Yeldon, and Chris Ivory. I mean, I what's that, six guys that I just named? Yeah, that all really talented. That guys. easily could make a difference any given Sunday. Not to mention, you got Blake Bortles, who we've seen two years, the prior two seasons to this, make a difference. Absolutely. So... Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited to see this matchup. Let's get some predictions really quickly. Score predictions. What do you got? Oh, God. I'm going to go Jacksonville Jaguars 27, Houston Texans 21. All right. 
Yeah, home field advantage, up, uh, updated, you know, new new offensive coordinator. I'm going to give the Jags the advantage of this one. I'm going to go 28-14 Jags. I'm the resident pessimist. <laughs> I think it's going to be kind of ugly. I say 17-14 Jaguars. All right. I'm going to go out of my mind, 30-15 to 15 Jaguars. Big blowout. We double their score. We kick their butt all day. Can we score 30? Yes, we can. <laughs> and more importantly, we will. I'm Jordan DeLugo. Follow me at Jordan DeLugo on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hunter Evans is on Twitter at Hunter underscore Evans underscore seven. Grant Gunderson at Bold City G underscore on Twitter. Scott Klein at Scott Klein one and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jaguar. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.